Welcome to When There Are No Words, conversations between artists about grief and hope in their work. This series is sponsored by 10 of those, resources that point to Jesus change lives. To support the podcast, get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and other gifts, join us on Acast Plus for as little as £5 a month. Welcome to episode seven of When There Are No Words, and I'm chatting in this episode with author Hannah Hess. Um, And now uh, we actually gave away some of her books right at the beginning of the series in our first giveaway in episodes one and two. And um, so it's great to be able to have a chat with her about uh, what she writes, how she writes, Um, where the stories came from and um, they have origins back when she was a teenager. Um, We talk about why starting with characters who have already suffered um, is actually important and how it shapes their character and their journey. And we talk about the importance of stories that deal with struggle and pain to prepare children for the struggles that they're going to face and maybe it also helps some adults as they read the stories too. So sit back, um, enjoy uh, this episode and um, remember to stay tuned for the middle of the episode when we'll have some uh, discounts that you can get and the very end of the episode where we'll have our usual giveaway. Enjoy. Today I'm with author Hannah Hess, um, who's just across the Bristol Channel from me uh, in sunny Wales. Um, Hello, Hannah. And for those who don't know you, haven't come across um, your work yet, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on today. Um, So I am a wife and a mum and a fairly newly published author. So I'm still adjusting to that. And yeah, I live in Cardiff. Um, keep trying to get out and haven't really managed it yet. <laughs> God wants me here for a reason. Um, and yeah, I guess the the most defining thing is I follow Jesus, and that's that's what defines my life more than anything else. But yeah, wife, mum to three kids. Mm. Not sure what else to say. And uh, are you, are you you say you're still trying to get out of Cardiff? Are you were you born born and bred? Yes, born and bred. Cardiffian is that a word? Yeah, Cardiffian. What's the, what's the name for people? Cardiffian, I think Cardiffian will really? do. I'm not sure. what I've never heard anything other than that. But yeah, Cardiffian will do. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, born here. Podcast listeners, you can write in and tell us what somebody <laughs> yes, from sure. Cardiff is Some will have a better idea than that. Um. <laughs> and you say you're a newly published author. How many books have you written so far? So I have two little books out in the world. So um, The Dark Star came first and then uh, First Sky Rider was released last year in the autumn. Um, but yeah, I have more in the works, so I'm getting used to the idea. <laughs> Exciting. And I notice um, the so the Dark Stars, the first book, as you mentioned, and the second one at the top, it says Callanless, if I've pronounced that correctly, Chronicles. Yes. Is that how you say it? Callanless? Callanless, Callan- yeah. Okay, Callanless Chronicles. So um, did you decide after the first book, is this a... Um, you wrote the first book and then it kind of um, the uh, the big company came to you and said, it needs to be a whole entire series like Indiana Jones and um, give us a Chronicles. Um, or did you always have in mind that you were going to write a series of books? Um, yeah, so it was a series in my head long before I actually went for it with publishing. I 
I'd sort of built this world up as a teenager and started writing the stories as a teenager and it just kept developing and so I'd always known that I would write, well, always desired to write a series of books and I think mm. publishers often like that. They like the fact that there's more books to come. Um, so I think it was in my favour that I had a series in my head ready. But um, yeah, so I've got another sort of, I've, I've had about three or four books planned out and I might push it to a fifth um, in the main mm. series. And then we've got a couple of other little ones as well on the side. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. exciting. Little little spin-offs. Yeah. Um, okay, so could you tell us a little bit more about the setting of your world? You say you came up with it as a teenager. Um, so tell us about it and maybe how it's developed. Um, yeah, so as, a, as a, a teenager and child, I loved reading. So I think I was reading lots of fantasy. I mean, Narnia just really set my imagination alight. Such a, a cliche, but cliche for a reason. <laughs> um, and just any book um, that kind of took me out of this world, I suppose. So I, I was just loving these stories and started to think, well, I'll create my own world. So I think like, when I look back at my notes and things from when I was really young, it's it's morphed a lot. It wouldn't be recognisable now, I don't think. Um mm. But it's a world where there are dragons and um, people are able to use... It's, it's telepathy and telekinesis, really, but we call it mind arts and uh, mind powers in the book. So people are able mm. to use their mind beyond their body to move objects and to communicate. Um, I think, yeah, it was just... I wanted an element of the supernatural and magical, but without delving into things that could be um that the, I wanted it to require effort and to require um work do you know what I mean I wanted the kids or the, the people to have to mm. master something rather than it just being a power that you harness um let's try and think what else mm. there's like mountains and forests and yeah so <laughs> stars stars are really important stars become are able to come down and live among people as, as human beings or appearing as human beings. So that's a really important element in the world. Um, yeah, I think that's enough. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting because um, I didn't talk too much with Jamin still on an earlier podcast mm. about this, but he has a similar thing about stars coming down. Oh, no, he's done um, it. <laughs> but that's not something... No, well, I'm, I'm just intrigued that two writers who... Yeah, obviously don't know each other. Um, have come up with very similar ideas, and it's uh, it's not something I think I've come across before. Um, where where did that idea come from, and uh, are they representing something? Um, so my thought was, I want again, I want supernatural. Um, I wanted a supernatural element, a magical element, um, but I wanted it again to avoid sort of the the cliche of a lot of the fantasy books of elves and um, dwarves which nothing wrong with that but it has been done a lot um and yep. in c.s lewis and in the um the voyage of the dawn treader they meet a star ram mandu isn't it who has been mm. uh, forced to live on the earth as a punishment i think for something he's done or a um penance kind of thing and i'm pretty sure that the magician that they meet on the island with the um the Duffelpuds is also a star. I think that's hinted yep. at. Anyway, I just remember this idea of thinking, ooh, ooh, that's a good idea. And no one's done that before. So I kind of just borrowed 
so I, I, did, I said that I stole it. <laughs> I stole it from C.S. Lewis, and <laughs> perhaps that's where he got it from too, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so... Um, Brilliant. Yeah, that's that was the root of it, okay. I think, was just that, yeah. I thought it was a cool Amazing. idea. Amazing. And and you said you you loved uh, as a teenager escaping into another world, and then thought, well, I can create another world. Did that did that help you as a teenager? Was that something that you were conscious of that you was there something to escape from? I, it, <laughs> yeah. How did that help you growing up? A teenage being a teenager is hard. I recognise you know everybody knows that <laughs> it is pretty horrible, isn't it? Um, so yeah, did did that whole thing help you navigate being a teenager um it helped to a point I think I mean I think I you know I loved stories from a very young age I would read and read I think probably as soon as I could read a full book chapter book I would read so it wasn't just as a teenager but there, I think there was definitely an element of escapism or perhaps in the creating of my own world that was where the escapism was because I would literally lose myself and um I'd get very attached to characters and stories um I think there was definitely an element of struggling to not cope because I was, you know, I did well at school. I had friendships, um, but there was definitely an element of trying to escape or process the world that I was struggling with. You know, it is it is really hard being a teenager, isn't it? You just, yeah, really, mm. really difficult. So there was nothing particularly awful going on, but there was definitely mm. an element of struggle, I think, in just fitting in and, and finding myself and books and creating a new world helped with that. I think that kind of, yeah, helped process, helped to escape, helped maybe mm. gave me a sense of control when I felt that other things were out of control. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and your characters are generally pre preteens, teenagers, kind of around that that age bracket. Yeah. Um, okay. Why 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 go for that? age range as your your heroes for want of a better word rather than adults or even younger children what what was it about that age bracket um so that was just the age I wrote them at partly because this was when the book started developing in my head was I was probably 16 15 that kind of age and so they they just naturally had that age feel as I developed them mm. but then as my own kids were growing up um my my son is now he's almost 15 which I can't really believe he um I was looking <laughs> for books for him to read and and for my other son to read and you know I, I did re resurface some books I'd read but I found there was a huge gap particularly in the Christian world of books aimed at 12 to 16 I'd say I think once you get into higher mm. education there's a huge wealth of of books aimed well perhaps not novels but um, books aimed at Christian teenagers and again under under 12 there's a huge range of novels and, and books mm. 12 to 16 there was this massive gap and I was like well <laughs> where mm. you know these kids this is when their brains are forming when their hearts and minds are forming and I just felt like this was a really sad gap so as well as me having just developed these books by chance I suppose in in my mm. youth and, and in young adulthood, I was like, well, now I need to write young men this age. I need to write young women this age because my kids, you know, there's if there's a gap for my kids, there's a gap for other other kids too. And yeah, so it became a bit of a mission. <laughs> so, um... Brilliant. I love that. 
And do you do you feel that there are particular themes and ideas you can explore because they're that age? Um, are there are there just naturally things that they're going to be experiencing um, because they're teens? Um, I think I think what I felt was I don't think the themes change. I think if anything, when you're a teenager, you're thinking more deeply and more interestedly about the world. Um, and so actually, I think the themes would be the same. So um, love, life, death, hero, you know, um, what's life for? I don't think that would be any different, but perhaps the way you can write about it might be different in that um, I think uh, what I was thinking was that the sort of, as an adult, you have a point at which you're, it's called the suspension of disbelief, isn't it? So that ability to go, oh yeah, this could happen. Um, mm. I think you've got a much lower threshold for that like as in that kicks in really early so anything a bit magical or ridiculous you kind of oh this isn't realistic and you, your brain can't engage whereas I think with kids um that's not there they you have to obviously oh, sounding really patronizing it's a good thing it's a really good thing um I love it because it means mm. that anything can happen you know you can mm. grab a dragon and tame it and ride it and you're like yeah this is really exciting adult books don't do that you don't have the same um uh that sense of um, anything could happen and the, the, that vivid imagination. So I, I really like that, that actually I think it gives you more freedom in one sense to explore these things. Um, so I think, I think the themes mm. would probably be the same. Kids are asking the same questions. Um, in fact, I think they're more likely to ask these questions than adults. Um, but you can handle them with mm. a bit of a broader imagination and a bit more scope, that, which adds excitement to the story, I think. That's my, my thoughts. <laughs> that's the, yeah that's brilliant it's something that's come up in a number of the conversations through this uh this series on the podcast that um there is something yeah there's something about kids and teenagers because yeah i guess the possibilities are broader mm. the imagination is broader so they're asking the same questions they're facing the same issues as adults but but things are just more open mm. and so the possibilities um and so there's a just a lot more you can explore than with a jaded adult <laughs> who's already decided what's what absolutely um, but then at the same time that becomes something that adults can go back into because they are still asked well those questions are still there but perhaps they're not asking them in the same way anymore well, so, yeah, so many adults um, I mean, that's the... read kids' books, don't they? I'm like, in fact, at the minute, that's mostly what I read is kids' books because it just, yeah, yeah, they're much mm. more fun. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Well, that's why you can go back to Narnia again exactly. and again and and so on because it is the same, it's the same themes. Um, but, uh, yeah, allowing you to ask questions that perhaps you've stopped asking. Yeah. Um that is the beauty of writing things for kids. It is for adults too. Ah, oh, love that. Um, so uh, tell tell us a little bit more about your process of writing the books. Did you did you have particular themes? So obviously you'd created this this world had evolved, um, but when you came to going, okay, I'm going to put this into a book. Did you think? Here's here's the theme that I want to write about. Now let's get my characters doing things. Or did you think, here's a setting, 
what are my characters going to do? What, how are they going to respond to the situation? I'm intrigued which way round you, you came to it. Um, yeah, I think because the world and the characters developed when I was a, a younger person, younger, growing up, they, um, that came first. And I wasn't really thinking particularly deeply as I developed them. But then as I reached adulthood and my faith and the person of God and Jesus became so much more important to me. And I think as I realised that that was what C.S. Lewis was doing and what other writers I loved had done was create books where these themes and these um, theology and, and ideas about the world could be explored. I was like, that's what I want to do. And so it became more deliberate mm. as I got older, saying that I've, I've been really, really careful what I did not want. And I really hope I've managed to sidestep this is to be preachy and to have a book with mm. an agenda. And I'm pretty sure C.S. Lewis, I should have researched this before I spoke to you, pretty sure C.S. Lewis or Tolkien said something about, yeah, if you basically, if you write with an agenda, it kind of destroys the story you need the story must come first but I think if you're writing as a Christian or a, a any person whatever your deep heart is it will come out it will mm. be there um, and there have yes. been times when I've really you know I have deliberately drawn in themes but most of the time I'd say the story the characters come first they I mean Runa especially she just does her own thing and I'm I'm just along for the ride to be honest <laughs> she just she always surprises me that girl um so yeah so that the story the characters come first um otherwise it wouldn't be an authentic story um yes. I think and I yeah I think you find it in any book that has an agenda you spot it straight away kids especially they spot it straight away and it immediately puts them mm -hmm. off so I've really tried to sidestep that idea at the same time the world and the the Kalanath is underpinned by strong um, theology I hope and principles of like you know mm. love and sacrifice and yeah there is something higher there's a higher purpose to our life there's a higher being higher beings that we can relate to um yeah and mm. there's yeah a goal of of doing doing what's right and good and yeah so yeah Editor Michael here. Um, if you've been enjoying the conversation that I've been having with Hannah and you'd love to read some of her books, well, we've got a brilliant discount code for you because you can get 50% off um, Hannah's books at the 10 of those website using the code, no words, that's all lowercase, no words, HH, capitals, 23. That's no words. HH23. Uh, the info is also in the show notes, but uh, go use that now. Maybe even before we finish the episode, go use it, go grab the books, have a read, you'll enjoy them. Um, so, yeah, but uh, back to the episode and you can find out more about them and use the code at the end. Cheers. Now, it doesn't give much away to say that the two main characters uh, in the Dark Star, Runa and Zafreth, yeah. if I've pronounced that correctly, <laughs> um, start from they 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 both start from a place of loss. Um, so Runa has lost her mum and Zafreth appears to have lost pretty much everything. Mm. Um, and uh, so why why did you choose to start with characters who had already suffered yes um this is a really good question in fact one of my friends who read through the book 
before it was published she's she's just yeah she's really been great in helping me get these books out she she asked the questions like does Runa's mother have to be dead and I understand that you it's the, one of the most painful things I think that can happen to a person, isn't it? And so it did make me think. And I was like, I think, yes, because Runa would not be who she was without that. She would not be this mm. um, adventurer trying to escape, trying to... Um, I don't think she'd have been as dynamic because she had to learn from quite a young age, I think, to be resilient and to look after herself. And so I think it is a key part of her story. Um and again, Zafrith, he would not have gone seeking um, everything he seeks. You know, he's again, he wants escape. He wants something better. He wants something greater. He knows this life isn't enough. He knows it's not it's broken. And I think those things were really, uh, they're the drivers in the story almost. That's what's pushing them forward. Um, I think as well, like with, with, with you know, kids that are dealing with the, some horrendous things and it's really important that they have uh, stories that also deal with difficulty and suffering and show them a good way of dealing with it. And um, I think I think when I was growing up, I realised I was really ill-prepared for suffering and pain. Um, mm. The impression, I guess, I was given is, like, if you do the right thing, then good things will come to you. I don't think that was the theology I was taught, but that was how it... How it was hmm. the impression I received was if you do good things, then good things will happen to you. And of course, when you reach young adulthood and things start to go wrong, um, the immediate assumption is, well, what have I done wrong then? What have I done? Um, and so it's really important to have characters that wrestle and struggle and, and to give kids the, um, the tools and the structure so that when difficulty comes, they know or they have a better idea of how to handle things but yeah I think the um the the, the suffering that Runa and Zafris face is, is really important to both their stories and I, Runa does say I realised at the beginning of the book she says something like oh she didn't really miss her mother but I think you've got mm. a bit of an unreliable narrator there and I think actually the fact that she carries mm. her mother's knife with her everywhere says no she does miss her mother her life would be very, very different if she had had her mother with her. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, it's, it's really good to think about. I, I think I wasn't as conscious about that element, to be honest. As I wrote The Dark Star, it was just something that came out. But talking to you and talking to other people, I thought, oh, no, that is actually a really, it's a really important theme that they both, yeah, yeah. start from brokenness and work towards something better from that. So, mm. Yeah. That is fascinating and, and so helpful. Um, because again it it goes back to the authenticity of the story um it's it's real life mm. you know we we all face losses of different kinds um and being able to explore how you respond to that in a christian worldview mm. it's just so vital for kids um yeah no so yeah thank you for doing that but that's interesting that you did it unconsciously mm. um because i remember when we we started talking about doing this having this conversation and obviously the theme of the podcast is is grief and hope and you're saying well i don't think i really write about that kind of thing and i read pretty much page one and <laughs> there's already loss um so you absolutely do write yeah. about that um but i guess in such a way that it's normal life 
yeah. sadly, this side of eternity, um, grief, grief mm. is a normal part of life, but it does shape us in incredible ways, doesn't mm. it? Yeah, definitely. Um, so your your two books in um, to the Canonlass Chronicles, mm. um, you say you've um, you've got plans for possibly five books. So have you have you written uh, three and four? Um, Are I've... they just in the they're in the works so I'm working on book okay. three and yeah so okay. yeah that's in the works but but meantime um and in fact when somebody knew I was talking to you <laughs> they sent me a message asking when the next book oh. is out which is <laughs> that's very exciting um so tell us there's there's something else happening before the next full book as it were yeah so um oh I don't know how much backstory to give you. The short story is we are releasing a short story uh -huh. um, <laughs> in October. So it's really exciting. Um, it's called The Water Maiden of Leolos. And it's, um, yeah, it's like, um, uh, I guess, yeah, spin-off is the best way to describe it. It's, it's shorter than a full-length novel, a novella. Um, and, yeah, and then the, the next, the third, it's, so it's not really part of the main series, the um the third book will be coming out then in a year after that the Nevette, the winter uh, twenty twenty four but this one's coming out October twenty twenty three so Ooh, yeah exciting. exciting and so so when you say it's not part of the main series it's still in the same world yes definitely right? part of Canon Lass and um, I think I can let you know that we're going back to visit Runa again so um, that'll be really oh, exciting fun. I think a lot of readers really latched onto her so she's she's featuring in the book um, yeah okay. so. but it does have maybe even more themes of loss <laughs> and struggle um, I mean I love that so can you tell us more or is it so secret no I think I can tell you something I think um, okay what was interesting was I, I, this originally I had a plan to write part of the main series, um, sort of I don't know if readers might have noticed, but when the first Sky Rider is set early in the world and Ken is the main character there, and at that point the island, the whole island is one nation under King Elior. By the time Runa comes along in the, ironically the first book, um, she's much later in the history. Um, at that point, the island is four, four nations. And so Kalanlas is only the central land. And then you have Sardia in the south and two other nations in the north. And so I wanted to explore how that happened. Um, hmm. So I kept trying to write it as a full-length book. But essentially, it's a tragedy. It's a really awful part of the history. And every time I came hmm. back to it, it was just, the stories just were sad terrible things kept happening and terrible things kept happening to the characters and I was like I can't do this I can't do it to the readers <laughs> and um also no one everyone's gonna finish this book and be really depressed so it just never really um I couldn't really get to grips with it as a full-length novel and then when my publisher suggested that we maybe write a short story it just it was like oh okay so I have material here what if mm. someone Runa is looking back into the history trying to work out what happened and why you can deal with it from one step removed so the tragedy is still there I feel really sorry for a couple of the characters because I'm just like oh oh putting through putting them through terrible things 
Um, but you're a step removed. You're looking at it through diaries and letters, and you've got Runa to keep the um, the upbeat element, and redemption can come out of that story in the the present in Runa's story. So um, mm. yeah, because I think as a reader, like we know in life, things aren't always resolved. So that element of realism is mm. yeah. Most books would probably have an unhappy ending <laughs> because if you're just mm. looking at this life, then yeah, often things don't get resolved, do they? We often are left with pain. Um, the hope, I think, is that there's another life to come, isn't there? And that there's redemption in the future. We're waiting for that, and there's that hope. Um, but in a novel, you, you need the redemption, otherwise no one will ever read your books. <laughs> um, right. So, so well, I don't know. yeah, well, I don't know. Some people would. <laughs> Except, the, but, but what you're saying is that the the redemption is found in in the whole story yeah that it does sit very much in that that whole story so there might not be redemption in the history yes. part of it um but but actually hopefully by that point you've read two of the books yeah. so you're getting a sense of that there might be some some resolution yes that's it i mean that's a that's a wonderful picture of how we can read the bible and that the fact that we've got the new testament we've got yeah. the the vision of revelation mm. and and that's the point of revelation isn't it that if you just look at what's going on right now mm. it looks awful yeah. it looks like the dragons consuming everything um it's disastrous but the lamb wins yeah let me just you know pull back the curtain show you that the lamb wins so mm. hold on to that while you're struggling while you're facing persecution mm. because the lamb wins yeah. um absolutely yeah we know the end of the story. Nice. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it enables you to get through the hard bits, doesn't it? But um, yeah. 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 Trust, really trust the author. Um, I like that. It's something uh, I think, I'm trying to think who said it. I think it was maybe Doug McKelvey. Mm. Um, um, maybe it was Glenn and Heidi Johnston. Anyway, um, something said at Hutchmoot Conference. Someone wise. I don't know if you're in. <laughs> Similar, somebody wiser than me um, was was saying about how you you trust uh, when you when you go into a novel and and the reason you keep reading is that you trust the author you trust the author to take you on the journey yes. through and and generally that they will take you to a point of redemption and some sort of resolution yeah. unless they're really depressing <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> but um, and and so we can trust the the great author yeah. of our lives mm. that he will take us through those he'll take us through those dark valleys mm. um but but out to redemption the other side um so even just the fact of novels mm. and the way we read them and trusting the author is a is a wonderful picture of of, of trusting the great author absolutely yeah very much good thought um, I'm intrigued as to how the writing a short story. Um, so you, you say you didn't write the longer story because it was just too much. <laughs> um, but has writing a shorter story, has that shaped the way you wrote that story in, in any way? Um, did you find it limiting or did you actually find it freeing because you knew it wasn't going to be too long? <laughs> um, I think... Oh, it was really interesting, actually, because I've always said I can't write short stories. Whenever I try, they end up becoming chapters and, and part of a bigger story. It's just how my brain works. So I was a bit like, oh, we'll see how this goes. 
um, and I had a, a, it felt to me a very tight word count. Um, <laughs> so yeah. it was really interesting. Um, I don't know, are you up for a tangent? I've thought a lot about, you can always edit it Perfect. out if you decide it's not worth it. Um, I've always, <laughs> I've, well, I've thought a lot about, um, especially since having children, uh, rules and restrictions. And like, uh, it really struck me that when we write a poem, for example, we put artificial restrictions on our writing. Um, but actually what it does is it creates a freedom to say something in a way that we wouldn't otherwise be able to say it. And I think mm -hmm. in the same way, having this tight word count, a, sh a small amount of space to say something, it really helped me focus and think, what am I really trying to say? Um, and just to, to write the story as briefly as possible, not briefly, as concisely as possible, which I think actually is something I should probably apply more to my longer books. It helps the reader, I think, you know, you get rid of any waffle. Um, and it really made me focus <laughs> focus quite carefully on how I was saying things. So in that sense, yeah, it was really, um, really interesting. And yeah, it made me think again about how, yeah, actually when we impose restrictions, it actually creates a kind of freedom. And we think restrictions are restricting and um, bad, and we tend to see that, them as limiting. And it's like actually limits are helpful they help you to say something in a different way well you write songs you that's that's a very limited way mm -hmm. you know you have what three verses and a chorus and you've got to say something in that time yeah. um yeah. and you, it's got a rhyme i mean huh yeah. <laughs> i don't know how you do it <laughs> well no <laughs> you've got a little bit of leeway there <laughs> but um do you know what i mean i'm like you're putting these artificial restrictions on yourself but it, it gives you the freedom to yeah. say something in a very um in a very different way that you wouldn't otherwise say so yeah, it was it was good. It was yes. good. Sorry, that was a really deep answer. I could have just said no. It was really awful. <laughs> <laughs> really hard work. No, I think that's absolutely right, and it it, it is hard work, isn't it? And uh, like you say, I don't I don't write novels, I write songs, um, and so it's even even shorter. <laughs> but um, but when you put in the hard work, yeah, and you pick just the right word, or just the right few words, and it's it hits the nail mm. on the head. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing and much better than waffling. And it's very satisfying. So. I think I feel like, oh yeah, there we go. Mm. I wrote what I thought was going to be a 70,000 word story in, in 15, 20,000 words. And it's like, that's an achievement. Yeah. And it, yeah, it feels good, doesn't it? So it's, yeah, it's been good. Mm. And I will hopefully apply it to my next couple of books as well. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much. Um, where can people find more of what you do? Sure. So I have a website at www.hrhess.com. Always worried I've got that wrong. Um, I'm also on Facebook as HR Hess author. I'm on Instagram, same kind of tag. And you can also check out um, 10 of those website and their imprint, Reformation Lightning. They have all my books. Um, yeah, so I hope that's enough information to find me. <laughs> that's brilliant. And we'll we'll put all the links. I should have said at the beginning, I asked Doug the same thing. You use your middle initial because you're a writer. I do, you? yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's, what's your middle name? <laughs> it's a secret. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> it's Ruth. <laughs> Ruth. Ruth. Oh, okay. Very good name. Oh, that's, that's, good that's nice. Good solid name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Good solid name. <laughs> HRS. Hess. Well, HRS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, 
thank you again um, for coming on the oh, podcast. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Really enjoyed it. And listeners, please go check out um, her books now. Editor Michael here. Um, in a moment, going to play a song of mine, um, which speaks to that uh, the fact that we can face the difficulties and struggles of this life because we do know the end of the story. Um, so that's in a song that I wrote for my dad just before he died and based largely on things that he was saying during that time. Um, uh, and then after that, also stick around because we'll be telling you about the competition for this week. Uh, but before that, Hannah has recorded herself um, reading from one of her books. It's from chapter one of The Water Maiden of Laelos, which is Hannah's new book that's going to be out in the autumn. Enjoy. Runa. The voice broke like a wave into her consciousness, drawing her from a deep sleep. Runa, I'm sorry to wake you. Runa, usually alert even when sleeping in her own bedchamber in Faldemore, groaned and turned over. She had been working with newly sworn sky riders all day, running from dragon to dragon to fend off disaster, or at least the loss of an arm. Only one rider had come away with singed hair, and Runa was counting it a successful day, but she was exhausted. Runa, I must speak with you. Runa dragged her attention from sleep to the sender. It's still dark, she managed to send, then realised it was King Elior, and sat up in bed. My king! I'm sorry to wake you, King Elior sent again. Runa could feel his presence shimmering like light on water, and the warmth of his voice, even though he was miles away. Unlike most distant sendings, his were crystal clear, like the light of the stars on a winter night. I assume it's urgent, Runa sent. She had worked hard on mind arts in her training, but still struggled. It was the king who covered the miles of land and sea that lay between them. I'm afraid so. You heard, I presume, of the death of the King of Sardia? Runa, still fighting sleep, forced her sluggish brain to focus. Yes, she had heard of the sudden death of King Lakesh several months ago now. His daughter had become Queen of Sardia at only twenty-three. The new queen has been quite militant in declaring her right to the throne of Kalanlas. It is distressing when we've worked so hard to bring peace to the border between our lands. My ambassador in Salma meets often with the Queen, but I believe these negotiations are failing. Runa's heart sank. Ten years had passed since she and Zafrith had got caught up in the enduring conflict between Sardia and Kalanlas. Peace had seemed strong and settled since then, and there had even been talk of inviting Sardia into the Skyrider exchange programme that now existed between Feldemore, Kalanlas and Merathaos. What can I do, my king? Runa asked. Runa had taken her oath as Skyrider of Feldemore five years ago, after completing her training in Kalanlas. Her main task now was to help train other novice riders. Perhaps the king wanted her to step up the training programme and involve more recruits, or return to Orr to work with the novice Skyriders there. I want you to go to Orr and speak to my Master of Histories, Elior replied. History? Runa could not hide her dismay. I do not have time to explain now. You must trust me, Runa, as your king and as your friend. 
Master Horgan will meet you tomorrow in the library at Orr. Runa twisted her mouth, hesitant. My king, you know history is... Runa searched for a diplomatic way to say boring, dull, awful. Not my best subject. The king's amusement did not help Runa. Trust me, was all he would say. His laughter died quickly. I know I need not impress upon you how important it is that we prevent this war. Runa's stomach clenched and a shadow fell over her mind. I know, she replied. May the light of the stars guide you, Runa. I hear and obey, my king. I feel cocooned in this small world On the edge of what I can't hope to take in Help me see as eyes grow dim The great expanse that lies beyond this veil so thin As the tears flow beyond the chariots of fire that line the hills around me prize my fingers from this world fill my eyes with him who holds me safe and sound as the Welcome home.
Well, if you've stuck around to the very end of the episode, you're probably wondering what is the big giveaway this week? Well, next week I'm going to be interviewed myself on this podcast uh, by radio presenter Rachel Redeemed. And we're going to be chatting more about my album from which this podcast takes its name, When There Are No Words. So we thought for these two episodes it'd be good to give away a few copies of my album. So um, I'm going to give away three copies and you can choose to have them either on CD or digitally, if I can say that word. Um, And I'm also going to give away a print of the artwork, which was uh, by Jamin Still. Um, who was on an earlier episode. Um, So you'll get an album and the album artwork. Uh, All you need to do, I think you know this by now, is share the episode or share an episode on social media. Uh, Maybe say something about it, why your friends might want to listen to it. Tag me in it or let me know that you've shared it and you'll be entered into the draw and we'll announce the winners Um, a week after the final episode drops and uh, then get the album out to you if you've won Um, so go for it please share the episode Um, please share it anyway even if you don't want my album you'll be entered into the draw anyway and I guess if you win it you could use it as a coaster if you want a very pretty coaster Um, but anyway yeah please go do that and um, uh, look forward to the next episode bye Thank you for listening to When There Are No Words. Remember, you can support the show on Acast Plus, where you'll get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and other gifts. See you next time.